Happy birthday, dear Mason. Happy birthday to you. Make a wish, make a wish. Sweetie. Hey, Sam, will you get us a knife so we can cut this up? Okay. All right. I hope you like it. I heard you didn't have one, so. It's a Bible. Is this your first Bible? Like, there's your name. And wow. gold. And wait, 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 wait. Look at this. Okay. It's a red letter edition, and that means that everything that Jesus said is in red. Thank you. You like it? All right. We love you, sweetie. Happy birthday. <laughs> this one's from us. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that comes from the, the movie Boyhood. It's a scene where you can tell people are trying to be sweet, but do you feel a little undertow of awkwardness in what's going on? That the kid's putting on a good face, but he's not sure what's happening. It's a great scene when it goes on. They also give him a, a dress suit and a shotgun. <laughs> so he's just like, thanks, you know. Um, it's a, scene, it's a scene I related to. Uh, I, I cried through the first half of that movie. <laughs> it's a long movie. I don't know if I recommend it, but, but it spoke to me. I used to live in Texas. Um, but, uh, so this is the Bible, actually, ironically, that I got when I was 14, about the same age as, as the character in, in that scene. And I, I wrote an entry in my journal about this Bible. And if you'll indulge me, I know it's kind of weird to be reading people's diaries, but um, I'd like to read you what I wrote. I just pulled the NIV study Bible off the shelf, the one I got when I was 14, eighth grade. I remember being disappointed that Christmas. It was an expensive Bible, I could tell. I wondered what cool shirts I didn't get because I was getting this expensive Bible. I remember knowing it was important to my dad. I could, I could see it on his face. He asked me to, and, and oh, it's broke. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I've got a fix. Okay, he asked me to inscribe it with calligraphy, which was cool. I can see now that my eighth grade calligraphy was, was not as good as I thought it was. This morning is about the gift of faith. About the gift of faith. We're studying 2 Timothy. Okay, the gift of faith is something someone tries to give you when they try to share Jesus with you. Very often it happens to us when we're very young. And for a lot of us, I don't know if you'll relate to this. Some of you, may, this memory may be very fresh. For a lot of times it feels like in the moment that it's something that doesn't have a lot of meaning for us. It feels awkward or, or forced somehow. It's, it's the gift we didn't ask for. And uh, maybe you remember this, but often we feel guilty because we're so underwhelmed by the moment. We can clearly see that it's very important to the person who's giving it to us. And so we feel a little guilty that, you know, why doesn't this excite me as much as it excites them? So we try to put on a good face. It could be that they're giving us a Bible. It could be that they're telling us something about Jesus. It could be that they're inviting us. Oh, would you like to be baptized? And, you know, we just kind of like, oh, and we don't, we know we're not as excited as maybe we should be, and we just feel embarrassed in that moment. Toward the end of the New Testament, 
we find the Apostle Paul writing a letter to a very dear friend of his named Timothy. And he's reminding him about his gift of faith. Now, if you don't know, Paul was a Jewish rabbi in the first century who came to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And so he traveled from Jerusalem all the way, at least to Italy and maybe further, spreading the the good news of Jesus Christ and starting churches. And most of what we call the New Testament in the Bible are actually letters that Paul wrote to these various churches. So that's who's writing this letter. Who's receiving it is Timothy, a young man, who became a follower of Jesus and traveled with Paul on these missionary journeys. Now, I had like eight verses because I wanted to show you like, Timothy is all through the New Testament. It made the sermon really long. So I've just, I narrowed it down to one really good one. Now, this comes from Philippians where Paul says, but you know how Timothy proved himself like a son with his father. He has served with me in preaching the good news. Paul loves Timothy. He takes him everywhere. He puts him in charge of things. And he always calls him Timothy, my son. You know, he's like the son Paul never had. He really thinks highly of him. Well, Paul is now writing this letter we call 2 Timothy from prison. Paul's been placed into prison. Most scholars believe that this is the last letter Paul wrote that we still have. Most likely, Paul was executed by the Roman uh, Roman emperor Nero in the year 64. So this is the opening of the letter we're studying this morning where Paul is talking to Timothy about his gift of faith. And we'll start in uh, verse 5. Paul says, I remember your genuine faith for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I first laid my hands on you. They did that in the first century uh, when someone was becoming a follower of Christ. Uh, They would lay their hands on them and pray for them. You know, they were like they were passing on the faith through their hands. Now, as I read that passage, I, I, I couldn't help but wonder because he always makes such a big deal about how young Timothy is in the scriptures. How did he first receive that gift of faith when it was given to him by his mother and his grandmother? The scriptures say elsewhere, Paul's, uh, Timothy's dad was a Greek. He was not a Christian. So this is just something mom and grandma are doing to the boy. And I wondered how did he receive it the first time? Was it awkward? Was it something he wasn't sure he had use for at the time? When or how did it actually become important to him? Paul says some things in this letter that give us some hints that Timothy might have been having some problems with his gift of faith. In verse 6, it says, This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Fan it into flames, he says, I remind you, was Timothy letting his faith die down to just the embers? And this is why Paul writes this letter. Has Timothy's faith become a soft red glow? I mean, it's there, but not enough to warm yourself by. He goes on in verse seven. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Was Timothy beginning to show signs of fear? Was he beginning to show signs of timidity? That word that's translated timidity or being timid can also be translated in English cowardice, 
Was Timothy beginning to show signs of cowardice? If we read, and we have in the past weeks read a little later into this letter, you'll see that people are starting to abandon Paul now that he's gone to prison. Um, Is he worried that Timothy might abandon him? That Timothy might walk away from his gift of faith? Now, we're all gonna have struggles like this with our gift of faith. We're all gonna have times when our gift of faith feels um, more like an embarrassment to us. I don't know when it'll happen to you. Maybe it'll happen when you, you go off to college and you're confronted with science and biology and geology. Um, I came to Christ at the same time. I was also getting a degree in science. And uh, in that setting, walking around with this you know, red letter edition of the Bible under my arm was just as good as wearing a t-shirt that said, not capable of logical thought. I mean, it was, it was just a stigma like, science major, probably not going to make it. Not very scientific. Still carries one of these around. So it's, it can be an embarrassment. And what good is your gift of faith if you're on social media and you, you, you have a Bible verse in your profile on your wall? And some people will click that they like it, but you know, a lot of people look at something like that and say, oh, I guess they, you know, must hate gay people or something. What good is, is the gift to you when, you know, you're a single person, you want to meet someone romantically, and, uh, but everyone else your age is, you know, out drinking, out hooking up, all things your gift of faith won't let you do. What if the same people who gave you your gift of faith then turn out to be hypocrites? What if they hurt you, they abuse you? What if they hurt someone you love? Now, what good is the gift they gave you then? Some of you are going to be on the other side of this equation. You're going to be the giver of the gift of faith, right? Many of you are parents or grandparents this morning trying to impart your gift of faith to kids and grandkids. Um, Others of you are volunteers in the church. You're trying to impart the gift of faith. Share it, you know, with the the curious and the clueless. Um, Some of you are in school. You have friends on campus and you're, you're trying to bring them into the family of God. Now, how do you know this is going to take? Is this, is this just going to be an awkward exchange of red letter Bibles kind of feel? What if it's something they don't want? What if it's something they're eager to get rid of because it's just too unpopular and embarrassing? So this is the first century question Paul's grappling with as he writes this letter to Timothy. I think it's just as relevant in the 21st century for all of us, especially on Father's Day. So... You receive your gift of faith somewhere from someone and it doesn't make a lot of sense to you at the time but I'm telling you there's going to come a time in your life when you're in this place where you don't feel like you have all the answers anymore. There's going to come this time like maybe when you have kids and you, you can tell you know this is the most important responsibility I have ever taken on and there is no instruction manual. What do I do? There'll come a time when you realize all of that partying and wild living has left you with nothing but a long list of regrets and one or two addictions you have to deal with. There'll be a time when you plunge deep into science and reason, as I did, only to realize that it did not answer all of life's most important questions. In fact, it's the very nature of science that the deeper you go, the more questions it generates. There'll come a time you may question your own sexuality. 
You may question your own value. You may question your own career choice. You may question your life purpose. So there you are in this swirl of questions. You don't have all the answers. You're going through a closet or I don't know what, throwing some old junk away and all of a sudden at the bottom of the box, there it is. Ooh, the gift of faith. You know, maybe it is a Bible someone gave you. Maybe it's some notes you wrote on a piece of paper during a sermon once back when you did that sort of thing. Maybe it's a journal entry you made and it mentioned something about God back when you felt that sort of thing. I don't, I don't know how it comes up, but you know, you're clicking on YouTube and you click on something and somebody says something and kind of captures you. Maybe it's someone at work who's telling a story. At any rate, something in the midst of your confusion says, you know, remember that gift of faith you got? It's not warm to the touch anymore, but you can tell when you pick it up the fire hasn't totally gone out. This is a big moment for you. For some of you, you may be having this moment right now where the gift of faith is kind of up in front of you again and you have to decide, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to go to church one more time? Are you going to Crack that open and read what's in there. Will you say a prayer? Will you call the person who gave you this gift of faith? You still have their number somewhere. Or will you head over to the dumpster and close this door forever? This is a big moment. As someone who has made pretty much the exact journey that I'm describing, I'd like this morning to serve you in being a guide to some of the things you're likely to see on this journey, if I can. And the first thing I would like you to know, if, if anything I'm saying is kind of close to where you are, is that you do not have to know where to go or what to do next. That's the most paralyzing part. I see it. I don't know what to do with it. You don't have to know what to do with it. I want you to know that God has been crafting this moment from the time you got the gift until the rediscovery and everything in between. He has been crafting this moment for a long time. He is ready and he knows what to do. Your best prayer in this moment is to say, all right, God, I've come to this place. I don't have all the answers. They say you do. They say you have answers. They say you have a life for me. They say you have an abundant life. I'm just telling you, you're going to have to tell me step by step how to get to it because I don't have a clue. That's your best prayer. You start right there with that prayer. And uh, go to these scriptures. Show up in church. Show up where people are on a spiritual journey that you can observe, that you can be invited to be a part of. I'm telling you from experience, he is faithful. He is capable of taking you on this journey if you are really ready to go. You've come to the place where you are ready to go. When that spark, whatever's in your gift of faith, gets fanned into flames, it's not going to be because you put a lot of effort into it, fanning it and blowing on it, and that's not how it works. It'll be the Holy Spirit of God who does that. That's what the Holy Spirit of God does. You have to know this. The gift of faith that came to you, it came from God. It came through someone who loved you or cared about you or was trying to do those things. But it, was, it came through them, but it came from God. And turning that 
spark into a bright burning thing that's alive that's his work that's precisely what God does the reason why he didn't just do it to you is because he doesn't force you as powerful as he is the scriptures presents Jesus as someone who stands at the door and knocks very polite waiting to be let in but if you let him in he does the work to save you So I'm telling you the reason why faith seems so mysterious and that you have no starting place is because you haven't tried to do anything with it yet. Maybe you're waiting like, well, I need to see what step one is. And that's not how it works. You pick your foot up and begin to take a step. And as you do, the spirit begins to reveal where your foot's going to land. Begins to remove the mystery and move in you powerfully. If he told you what to do next, you would say something like this. That sounds dumb. I don't see the point of that. And you wouldn't do it. So... He doesn't tell you. Um, You look back and go, oh, I see. But if you make the slightest genuine move toward him, he takes the mystery away and works powerfully. The second thing I'd like you to know about this journey is that when you begin to move toward God, you begin to move toward the person you really are. I don't know if you have this sensation where you look in the mirror and you think, this is not really who I am. Whoever I am is buried under a lot of this other stuff. When you begin to move toward God, uh, you become more the person who you really are. In fact, if your gift of faith was given to you by parents or grandparents or great-grandparents, you may well be taking a journey back into who you've always been. The flame got dim, but it did not go out. Or maybe you're going to be the first person in your family tree to fan that spark into a flame. It's a very exciting place to be. Maybe the legacy for your family begins with you. Third thing, and this third thing I want to direct at those who are trying to give the gift. You're the one giving the Bible or talking about Jesus or sharing your story. You've got to remember that this is God's work. This is not our work, you and me. Uh, We can give the Bible We can offer a prayer. We can share our story of what Jesus has done. But then you cannot make anyone you love follow Jesus. It just doesn't work that way. God needed you to do your part, to be an ambassador, to represent the kingdom, to give the gift of faith. But then uh, God would probably greatly appreciate it if you do him a favor and get out of the way for a minute. Let him do something. Let him get a word in edgewise. Hand over the wheel. Take a break. Take five. And here's where the Lord may do something in your life. He may need you to learn patience. Because he's going to wait for just the right moment. And as you're going to hear in your story, he may make you wait a very long time. This is part of your journey. So I'm saying all this to fathers, certainly, because it's Father's Day. But I'm also saying this to mothers and grandmothers. Remember, in Timothy's case, dad did not follow Jesus, so God uses mom and, and grandma. That's because God can work with any family structure. He can work with any situation, any group of friends. He is able. He is able. The fourth thing I'd like you to know about this journey uh, is to go back to verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. God's going to give you what you need for this journey. 
and you're going to need his spirit. It says it's a spirit of power. So spirit of power is first. Uh, in the Greek, that means like a spirit of ability to do things. It also can mean like a military force, like to fight against the evil in your life and push things back. He gives you a spirit of power. He might give you mental power. Mental power to really ask the questions you need to ask about all these doubts that you're having and really understand where to find the right answers. Mental power. He may give you courageous power. Courageous power to to find a job, to overcome an addiction, to forgive someone in the church that hurt you. Some of your lives have some of these just basic needs of food, water, safety, and shelter so jacked up that going deeper into God is going to be very difficult for you. You need a spirit of courage to just order your life enough to be able to hear the voice of God. He'll give you the spirit to overcome those things, to settle those things down, particularly the forgiveness piece. Particularly if someone in the church hurt you and that's the reason you won't come close to God. So I want to ask you this morning if that's you. Why do you continue to give those people the power to keep you away from your God? You say you don't want to follow God because, you know, those church people and what they did. Why are you giving them the power to get between you and your creator? Haven't they done enough? Don't yield them that power anymore. Spirit of power. He says he'll also give you a spirit of love. And the spirit of love comes out in a devotion to Christ. Because you begin to understand he loves me and he's doing great things for me. That love begins to put you in a place where you'll do whatever he calls on you to do. You'll give up whatever he calls on you to give up because you know he loves you and he's bringing you a full life. And so you're willing to take risks when you know and you have a spirit of love in you. Last one that Paul mentions on this verse is a spirit of self-discipline. So that has a lot of meanings. I went to the Greek word he used and it also had a lot of meanings. So my favorite one for this morning was level-headedness in crisis. Couldn't we all use that? Level-headedness in crisis. Because right now, some of you are just in a swirling hell. And the spirit God is about to give you will let you stand in that tornado and say, this is not going to defeat me. I am not alone. Fifth thing for this journey is that you're probably going to do something called repenting. Very Christian-y word, but repenting literally means that you're going one way and you turn and you go the other way. To turn and go the other way is to repent. And the fuel that, for repenting is when you realize what Paul's trying to get Timothy to realize, you have a gift of faith. And so, truth is, you always knew you were going the wrong way. When you remember your gift of faith, it fuels you this way. It lets you say, as I said, I knew better than to think that science was going to answer all the most important questions. I love science and I still do, but I knew better than to think it was going to tell me everything I needed to know. I always knew that and now um, I repent. I don't rely on it for everything anymore. 
You know, I knew I could not live that wild life and not eventually hurt myself or hurt someone else. I always knew that. I knew better than to give uh, the people in that church the power to disrupt my view about God. In fact, I always knew they didn't accurately represent God. I knew they didn't even accurately represent the church. I was ignoring my gift of faith, but now I repent. I turn and I move toward it. I'm not ignoring it anymore. The scriptures say that when a sinner repents, turns and goes the other way, there is a celebration in heaven. There is not an I told you so from heaven. When you repent, God does not say, well, it's about time. There's a celebration in heaven. There is no bill sent to you for back taxed owed. Oh, Mr. Sonsa, we see you come back to the kingdom of God. Well, you got a lot of, you know, you're probably just gonna have to go to Africa to work that off. Um, <laughs> It's not like that. You receive forgiveness. You receive new life. You receive a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of discipline. There is gifts waiting for you, not reprimand. Last thing for today about this journey is that though it seems impossible now, someday you will thank God for these days that you're in. I say that with the utmost sensitivity because I know for some of you it is a very difficult time. But there will come a time when you realize nothing else except this would have shaken me awake. This time clarified for me what was really important in life. Although I wouldn't go do it again on purpose and although I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, I am in some way thankful for it. It opened my eyes. I'd like to read from my journal again about that Bible, if, if you'll indulge me. And fair warning, when you read a nerd's diary, it goes to a certain place. So. But, uh, you know, it's about the gift of faith. We'll try to keep that in focus. All right. I just pulled the NIV study Bible off the shelf, the one I got when I was 14 in 8th grade. I remember being disappointed that Christmas. It was an expensive Bible, I could tell. I wondered what cool shirts I didn't get because I was getting this expensive Bible. I remember knowing it was important to my dad. I could see it in his face. I remember seven years later reaching for this Bible to save my life finding just the passages I needed in that expensive concordance in the back. I remember reading this Bible cover to cover, reading every one of those study notes that take up half of every page. I remember compiling six spiral notebooks full of prayers and notes and thoughts and questions over the next five years. I can remember after finishing Revelation 22, turning immediately back to Genesis chapter 1 and doing the whole thing again, this time with my wife, one of God's greatest gifts to me. When this Bible fell apart, I did what any good kid raised in the trailer park would do. I put a piece of duct tape on it. Because this was the treasure. This was the, a gift my father gave to me to tell me who I am. Where my life and this world and everyone in it is headed. 
what this life is really all about. This was the treasure, the lost ark, the holy grail, the wand that chooses you, the wardrobe into another world. This was the story that said, when you crash landed in that part of Dagobah, it was not an accident. You are the son of the king, Isildur's heir, the boy who survived Voldemort, the son of Adam, destined for one of the four thrones of Ker Paravel. You wear the ruby slippers and you pull the sword from the stone. You can swim through 500 feet of sewage to escape Shawshank prison, save your father from the Death Star and shoot Jaws in the face. The force is indeed strong with this one. This is your father's lightsaber. He wanted you to have it. He wanted you to have it when you were old enough. It is an elegant weapon from a more civilized age. The blade has been remade. Now take the dim Walt road and become who you were born to be. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. But I was disappointed when I first got it. For seven years it sat in my room and I didn't do much with it at all. I almost missed all of this. I almost missed having everyone in the church in my life. Praise God that when the time was right, he reached out to me and on that little ember of faith, the Holy Spirit came and blew a puff of holy breath and it burst into flame and consumed my soul. Paul says the word didn't save Timothy, rather it was the spirit God gave him. So if you grew up in the church, you grew up in this church, and if you let your embers get low, today can be the day that you say, Lord, breathe on me. Breathe on this gift of faith and let it spring into flame. If you've given the gift of faith to a child or to a friend or to a grandchild, pray again for your own patience. Become the wise and watchful guardian who now waits and prays for the power of God to enter into the life of the one you love. Let go of the steering wheel. You don't have the skills necessary. If you've come here this morning because you thought kids ought to grow up in church, I want to ask you the question you probably weren't expecting to be asked this morning. What about you? How can your kids grow spiritually if they don't see you growing spiritually as their guide? Imagine in your mind the faith you hope for them and then have it for yourself. Take your own gift out of the closet and let God do his thing in your life. We're going to take communion together in a moment if the servers want to get ready. And for some of you this morning, it may have an additional meaning. It'll be you bringing yourself and your gift of faith down to the altar to hold it up to God and to say, Lord, let this gift spring into flame. And then you will feed that fire in the weeks to come with prayer and worship and scripture and service. I invite you to come back here as often as you can in the next six weeks. If, if it's, you're just visiting, return to your home church as often as you can. For the next six weeks, at least, what do you have to lose? Sing the songs, pray the prayers, hear the sermons, talk to the kind people in the lobby. Each week, see if you don't hear God giving you just a little next step, just a week's worth of step for your journey back home. The reason why we do communion is it helps us remember the story. 
on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he knew all this was going to happen. He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body broken for you. So we tear off a piece of bread. And then we dip it in the cup because he said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. So there's nothing between you and I, God says through communion. There's nothing between you and I, from, 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 not from my end, he says. I gave my body, my blood, my very best, so come. Well, if you'll stand together, I'd like to say a word of blessing over you. Also, stolen from the Anglicans. Good thing they don't charge royalties for all the stuff they came up with in the Middle Ages. <laughs> May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Happy Father's Day and go in peace.